1: Good evening and welcome. This is Yolanda McTeer. I apologize. I was trying to get my wonderful song going that I love titled Ocean Wave by Barry Allen, but there was a little difficulty in getting it going. But nevertheless, it's not going to stop my show because we got it going, and we're going to get to it and get it going with my wonderful guest this evening. Welcome to the Underworld of Sharks. Professional diver Gary Atkinson is live here with me, Yolanda, on Empowering for All. Ladies and gentlemen, can I tell you that this gentleman brings to the table many years he's been in the ocean, right next to the sharks, petting them, putting them to sleep, and never has he been what we would be fearful after retiring from decades of just living in the underworld, the sea world with the sharks, Gary doesn't stop there with the involvement with sharks. He has now become a teacher, speaker, and empowerment to those who want to grasp and learn all there is to know about the underworld of sharks. This lady, this man, ladies and gentlemen, is a force to be wrestling with. You don't want to miss this show today. And adding some more to his accolades, he is the director of the Shark Foundation, where he has funded this study for over 12 years. I'm not going to keep him holding. I see he's in queue. On time is what he does. I'm so excited and just overwhelmed that he's joined us and going to talk to us this evening. Without further delay, I'd like to welcome my guest here on Empowering for All. Mr. Gary Atkinson good evening Gary how are you
2: I'm fine Yolanda thank you very much for the accolades that was very very nice I'm I'm flattered I'm embarrassed that was very very nice (laughs) thank you
1: (laughs) no Um, need to be no need to be credit given is credit you have earned without a shadow of a doubt
2: well, I appreciate that, and our environment uh, appreciates uh, any help that they can get. So that's that's uh, hopefully the message that we want to put out there, and and, and that's an empowerment in its own right, I would think.
1: Yes, most definitely, most definitely, uh, Gary. I know there's so much. You know, when you when we talk about sharks, we talk about the underworld, and I know being a professional that you are. There's always the key. Where do we start and where do we end? So tonight I'm going to start with the most phenomenal attraction that I have because always when I'm able to catch Underworld Shark Show, I am glued to it. It just fascinates me so because we know with this ferocious and fierce animal that you have taken on and they actually, you know, they come to you, and they're compelled, and they have not, you know, bothered you. So that within itself says, hey, this man's got something we need to know about. <laughs>
2: <Yeah>. <laughs> well, I, I, I have to tell you that, um, first off, it's it's like any – people who work with horses for example if you've never been around a horse he's a large powerful animal and he can be very very intimidating and so some people are very frightened by the presence of of, of such a large powerful animal and and indeed um, never lose respect for them as they they should not Um, but as you work with the animal and you learn how they think and and how their their reactions are going to uh, be telegraphed to you then um you become comfortable with them and and subsequently there's really a small uh family of people who work with sharks around the world scientists and and uh handlers and um and, and there's sort of this um wealth of information amongst the people that work with sharks that understand that this is um not a dumb animal it's a pretty smart animal uh and he's, and, and every shark we've ever worked with has its own individual personality, just like every dog or cat that you ever ever owned has has its own separate personality. So true with sharks, and uh, um, so subsequently, um, the more you understand them, the more you're comfortable with them. But you never lose respect for them and their power, and and their grace and what they do, what their job is in the in the in the environment.
1: Wonderful. Now, Gary, I'm going to go all the way back to the beginning of your investment, your fascination, your commitment of loving sharks. When did this all begin for you?
2: Oh, my goodness. Um, well, you know, like so many people from my generation, we grew up with the Doc Cousteau series, and uh, and I had the privilege of working Meeting Jacques Cousteau and working with his sons um, and his grandkids as, as well in various projects, um, and I think that's what planted the seed as a young kid sitting in the Midwest. Um, uh, and as soon as I could, I headed towards the water, um, and ultimately got my degree in underwater uh, technology from the Florida Institute of Technology, and uh, a degree in underwater engineering. And I was always I saw Jaws like everybody else, and it and it it petrified me. And I just thought, this is not good. I'm fascinated with these animals. I want to I want to not be fearful uh, with them. And then uh, I met an amazing woman. Um, her name her, her name is Noreen Rouse, and she became my mentor uh, when I was in my early twenties. And um, this lady, well up in her 40s and 50s, totally did a turnaround in her life and said. You know, she discovered the ocean at a late age, and it just so inspired her. She became one of the foremost conservationists in South Florida, and uh, she was my mentor. And I literally walked away from a very uh, lucrative professional diving career uh, working in the oil industry um, to work with her and develop a, a facility in uh, in South Florida called the Scuba Club of the Palm Beaches, the Marine Ralph Scuba Club of the Palm Beaches. And it became um, um, a cornerstone of, 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 of diving and conservation. And I remember the first time going down with Noreen, and we looked out at about 80, 90 feet. I see this massive hammerhead shark swimming up to us. And I took off like a shot to go swim with this shark. And and I and I just was enthralled with the grace and power of this magnificent animal, who could care less that I was there, and allowed me to glide along beside him. And and it was not until afterwards I got on the boat that I realized, my goodness, you know what I just did, and that I think was the kickoff. It was always there in the back of my mind. I was always drawn to water, and I always loved diving. But that that was the that was the seed that planted it all. And from that point on. Um, I I uh I did everything I did was around uh shark experiences all over the world. Um and and, and pursuing them. And just I've been really blessed. I've been really blessed to dive in most all the oceans with sharks around the world now. And uh and of course with the Shark Foundation, um we educate, we uh fund uh uh doctoral scientists, uh And we do research, as much research as we can, and publish that data uh, on sharks. And and we have projects globally now. And my fun part, and my wife is also co-directs with me. We both are dive instructors as well. Um, The fun part for us is that we go around the world to Africa and Australia and New Zealand and Fiji and so on and so forth. And we um, work on these projects with these scientists Uh, tagging sharks, tracking sharks, uh, collecting data, and the most important thing is publishing the data. It's one thing to get it. Um, That's the fun part, uh, getting the data. The hard part is making it say something and then publishing that data so other scientists can then build on the facts that you find. And In science, if you do it right, you create more questions because that's what it's about. You don't have all the answers. You find some answers, and they spawn more questions so that others can then build on that. And that's how we that's how we learn. We learn about um, an animal that um, without it, our oceans die. And a lot of people don't understand that, that it's at the top of the food chain. And when you're an apex predator at the top of the food chain, you control the balance of everything down to the tiniest zooplankton. Um, if if, at any, if you take the animal off the top of the food chain, and we've learned this horde story on land by removing large predators out of the out of the environmental equation, um, and suddenly you have population explosions at different levels, and it consumes all the nutrients, so everything dies um, b- above and beneath that level uh, because there's not enough food to support them. And if you're lucky enough in the ocean to be able to swim off and hunt. Hunt someplace else. That was fine, but if you can't, then you'll die. And a shark's role in in the uh, in the ocean is to eat the sick, and unhealthy, and they create what's left. And uh, the healthiest survive, the strong survive, and and they balance the ecosystem subsequently by doing so. You take them off the top very quickly, in the scheme of things, the ocean dies. That's why we have big dead zones all over the planet's oceans right now because sharks are slaughtered at uh close to 100 million animals a year uh just wow. for their fins just just for the fins for the asian um asian market uh and it's um the shark fin is considered an aphrodisiac it's considered um a symbol of wealth in the asian culture and mm.
0: slowly that's
2: being turned around uh just by, just by virtue of the fact that the word uh, the Mandarin Chinese word for shark fin is shark wing, which doesn't sound so bad, does it? And, and no. in the studies that we've done, we discovered that um, many people in China believe that uh, sharks regenerate their fins. So when they're caught and this animal has his fins hacked off and then his live body is dumped back in the ocean to die a horrible death, um, they think that he can regenerate his fins. So slowly but surely, we're educating um the chinese with films in in their own languages and there's hundreds of dialects actually And that's a big project in its own right uh, that we're working on. And the whole key is education. Um, I certainly went off on a ramble there. (laughs) No, Gary, no. (laughs) By no
1: means, by no means do you feel like you are rambling. You are being informative. You're giving us some knowledge. And you're departing wisdom into the, the sharks. I mean, you're absolutely phenomenal. And we are tuned in and definitely want to absorb and learn this information. So feel free to, by all means, continue.
2: <laughs> well of late uh, you you know obviously in the news we've been hearing lots of stories of um you know negative um images of the sharks, of course, with what's happened off in of north carolina um uh of most recent the uh, surfing contests down in South Africa where uh uh was uh, had a great white shark tangle up in his uh, surfing Ankle line uh, a couple days ago, and they, that was filmed on camera, um, and and so they they get a bad rap, and I think people have to understand a couple of things. For example, what happened in North Carolina, it was the perfect storm. Um, we have um, we have exceptionally hot temperatures. We have a lot of evaporation taking place, which has lowered, or rather increased, the salinity. Uh, in the intertidal in areas, sharks um, like higher salinity because they're more buoyant. Uh, sharks don't have a swim bladder like fish do, so they need that buoyancy from from the excess salt. Uh, so they they're going to come inshore. We had a, a huge migration of uh, uh, menhaden and other uh, coastal species uh, migrating down the coast uh, very close to shore. And, of course, that attracts the food chain. Um, The sharks are going to to follow the food. Uh, It's always about the food, by the way. Um, And then um, it's summertime, and we have more people in the water off the beaches at at a peak season, um, such as this. So you have food, you have high salinity, you have good warm water. They love the warm water, and uh, you have a lot of people in the water. It's the perfect scenario for an accident. Um, I always tell people who go to the beach to be cognizant of the surroundings. Be aware mm-hmm. uh, if you see birds feeding, the water boiling because fish are feeding. You have to think what's attracting, uh, what, what, what that vibration in the water is attracting. Now we we know or we hear that um, a few drops of blood in the water will attract a shark. That's true, but it would take it takes a very very long time for that shark to track that trail of blood. And he does it very slowly and methodically to approach uh, the source of the possible bleeding. But the one thing that will bring a shark in faster than anything, like a bullet, is the vibration of of struggling fish. And, and when fish are feeding, that puts out a vibration that sharks can hear miles away, and they come in like a rocket homing in on that. And what does a swimmer sound like when he's splashing around on the surface? Uh, He's putting out vibrations. And if there's already feeding going on in that area, then the case-mistaken identity takes place. Now, one of of the, the facts of life is that Caucasian people flashing around in the water look like the sides and the bellies of fish. And oh, okay. Investigatory, yeah, investigatory bites um, happen a lot because of that. Um, point in fact, my when I was uh, when I, I set up a, an experience in the Bahamas that you could die with over a hundred sharks, and we did this almost every day. And uh, my Bahamian staff uh, were all black, and they didn't have to worry about. Um, exposing any skin uh, out there when they were working with the sharks in close proximity. Um, I, on the other hand, had to wear gloves and a a black hood over my head um, because of of my white skin uh, because I didn't ever want them to mistake uh, my hand for uh, a piece of fish that was floating in the water column. Um, I had a – I'm going to digress here. I did the Today Show and taught Al Roker how to dive. And I was doing what? the today show,
0: oh. and, I
2: took, and i took al down al is a what he what he is on camera he is off camera he's a he's a funny fabulous guy, and we had so much fun together um and so i I took him down and uh and he had a a, a wonderful experience and we did the whole today show underwater um and and then afterwards you shoot what's called b roll and so I have my cameras out, and the b roll is the what we call the crunch and munch, you know, when you you have a, a shark feeding on a, a, a fish or a piece of carcass, and you just put the camera right down there next to his head and his mouth while he's feeding. And my housing and my hand were bare at that time, and my housing was clear plexiglass, so it shimmers, and sh- just like a fish struggling would. Mm-hmm. And suddenly I have sharks all over me, going down, because it smelled right, it looked right, and instead of biting the carcass, they bit. Uh, my housing and if it wasn't for the fact that I have very big heavy handles on the housing I would have probably lost my fingers on that when they did oh the goodness. housing and instead I got, got a few stitches on my hand but that was with the Today Show so we came up and I didn't want to tell Al about it at the time She's still a little bit nervous because we had some other dies we wanted to do so I didn't want to tell him about it until after it was all over with. And, of course, he made a big deal about it afterwards, you know, that he cheated death, you know. But anyway, I digress. Um, but a fabulous guy, a great guy. Um, Wonderful. Anyway, oh, my
1: goodness. That's the scenario. <laughs> that was
2: like, that I'm was sorry, sorry that was a scenario for North
1: Carolina. <laughs> <laughs> I'm okay. sorry. I, I,
2: say that
1: again? I said, that scenario within itself was just phenomenal. You taking, you know, Al Roker and showing him, this is how this is done, Al. Welcome to my world. Because, you know, Al is one of those who's taking people <laughs> into his world, bringing them on set and everything. So that had to be really phenomenal and very, you know, um, just fascinating for him to be with you on the dive and see that. I it's just only imagine. Now, if I had the heart, which I don't, I'm, ladies and gentlemen, I'm letting you know I don't have the heart. I'm <laughs> Patrified of the Sharks live face-to-face. So I'm going to continue to be the viewer and get the information because I'm not going to let Gary take me on a diving lesson. That's not going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, Yolanda, never you know, say never. <laughs> that's what they say. Never but say Gary, never. when it comes to Sharks, hmm. Uh, I'm gonna say, hmm. Okay. <laughs> well, <laughs> but what I do want um, you to shed some light on is the fascination that many people and, and my listeners, of course, and for those who listen to the show, because um, my shows continue to be broadcast and able to be heard after I broadcast them live. Tell us there's different variations of sharks because a lot of times we don't know that knowledge. We've always just been told it's a shark. But that's not true. You have things such as a bull shark. You have a lemon shark. How many specimens of sharks are there?
2: Um, there's a couple hundred, actually. Um, the oh, ones that are most the ones that you hear about the most. There's only about twelve of those ten ten to twelve of those. Those are the most common ones that we hear about. Um, and uh, and an interesting thing by species, and it shouldn't be it shouldn't be profound if you think about other animals in the wild kingdom. But um, their personalities are different from species to species. Um, A bull shark, I work extensive, I work a lot, extensively with bull sharks around the world, and we published a lot of papers on bull sharks. Bull sharks have a, they're very comfortable. Let me let me back up. They all sharks have a personal space, just like people, and some people are comfortable with somebody very close to them talking to them, and other people step back because they have a, a, a greater personal space. Um, mm-hmm. The comfortable, the comfort zone. Okay, well, it's true for sharks as well. And and with a bull shark, he has a very small personal space. So a bull shark, oftentimes his behavior is interpreted as being aggressive because we don't under we feel what we don't understand. And and a bull shark will come very very close to you. Uh, I've had them press themselves to me, and it's not aggressive. They're just comfortable doing that. Um, um, a lemon shark, uh, for example, is. Um, a, a, the best, and I don't want to be anthropomorphic with this, but they they have almost a feline type of a behavior pattern, um, and and that's the one shark actually that I if I've ever had any problems with a shark, that's it's been a, on a with a lemon shark. They're a little sneaky, and and uh, um, I've been in situations where we just had to literally go back to back uh, with with a, another diver just to watch because we had so many lemon sharks around us that they would sneak up and mouth uh, your fins or whatever uh, to see what they were and you had to kind of be aware of that. Um, they have um, they have a very sharp pointed tooth. A lot of people don't realize that every shark species has its own shape of tooth. So you can identify shark just by its teeth alone. Uh, this is based on what kind of food that they like to eat. Uh, great whites, of course, um, they're the, which we all know, they're the apex of all apex predators, and they seem mm-hmm. to know it. Um, and, and I've worked a lot with great whites. I've, I've never used a cage uh, except as a prop in a film with National Geographic or Discovery Channel or something like that. But but great whites um, also have a small personal space, and they'll come very, very, very close to you because they know – that they are the biggest baddest thing in the ocean and uh and they're comfortable with that but they're also very very curious and um when i work with great white sharks uh in africa for example i never wear a black wetsuit um because that's what a seal a seal is black and i don't want to ever in silhouette be mistaken a case of mistaken identity so my wetsuit would be bright neon green and i've had a massive great whites swim up to me and just stop, put on the brakes and stop and literally physically shake and and I guess it was something I was wearing, you know, but they would circle me and, and total confusion because they'd never seen anything like that. Sharks see color just like we do and they can see, great whites can see above the water as well as they can beneath the water and one of the oh. things that great whites do is that they spy hop. They, they can actually stick their head up out of the water and look around and they'll do that um, for example, in South Africa, where there's a lot of seal islands, and they'll spy hop to see what's going on on the shoreline, see if any any young seals are straying too far away from the island uh, that they can maybe ambush them. So they're they're kind of clever. I've had great white sharks actually curious about the boat that I'm working on, sit there and spy hop with us uh, beside the boat, watching us all day. And it was curiosity, it wasn't aggression. It wasn't you know I want to eat you mentality. It's just they're very curious, and they 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 have. To, Sharks have great taste buds behind their teeth. And they don't have hands, so they can't flipper things to see what they are. So they have to mouth it to see what they, what it is. And one of the best tools that I use when I'm working with sharks, of course, is my cameras. And I've had many of my cameras mouthed because they want to see what it is. Uh, or my fins. I've had my fins grabbed, and I've been pulled around by my fin a few times. And I had to bop them over the head with a with a camera to get them to let go. Um, oh my goodness! But, uh,
1: wow! But, that's,
2: <laughs> but anyway, anyway, um, hey, Gary,
1: that's but, where it gets into. No, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm thinking I'm gonna get paid up, and then I'm gonna be like, you know, I gotta go. Uh, it's time to wave bye bye to the sharkies. So,
0: <laughs>
1: that is, wow. I mean, you know, you did say they nippled on your fins, too. I mean, that's like on you. You At no given time, once again, I commend you. Ladies and gentlemen, you heard there was no fear there. He said, oh, they nippled on my fin, and, you know, they let go. And you, you um, know, without a shadow of a doubt, most people would have been like, okay, I'm going to die. The shark to nibble on it. That's what sharks do. Yeah, they begin to just open the mouth, and then we don't see anything else. Uh, what they're looking at when they open their mouth, it's gone, bye bye, in the belly.
2: Yeah. let me show you some things, share some things with you about the intelligence of of, of this this animal I, I worked with another marvelous lady scientist who unfortunately just passed away last year just just a wonderful uh, mentor as well um, and I must say, you know in my career, I have to back up here for a second I've had so many empowered women uh influence me in my life and, and wonderful Eugene, you Clark know I'm is, gonna say is, shout is out to the empowerment. Yes, for the women. Yay. Absolutely.
1: <laughs> Absolutely.
2: Absolutely. I owe I owe so much to 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 magnificent free thinking women. Uh and Dr. Jean Clark came out and we worked together on with my hundred and so some odd sharks in the Bahamas. Um and um we set up an, uh, an apparatus where uh, we basically taught one of my sharks, a Caribbean reef shark, uh, to uh, punch the right colored button and get a food re- reward. We set this up under water. And that was pretty amazing that we could even teach a shark to do that. And, um, that and, and then about six months later, we came back and we set up that same apparatus. And immediately, without any hesitation, that shark came and punched the right colored button for a food reward. What blew us all away was that many, many of my other sharks came and punched the right colored button for food. We hadn't worked with any of them, so mm-hmm. there's a sharing of information there. You know that they they um, they conveyed that information to each other on how to get this food reward. Now this has been taken to another level. Now, for example, in the Rotterdam Aquarium in Europe, they now uh, have taught their sharks in their aquariums. To self-medicate and take their own medication uh, by punching, each one has his own different colored button, and they know which one they're to punch, and they punch that button, and they get their medication uh, if they're if they're sick or whatever. So they self-medicate that way. So that's pretty that's pretty amazing in its own right. Um, it is. Yeah, it is. Um, so I have a, a, an, another friend of mine. Well, he's 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 one of the former scientists, uh, Doctor Sonny Gruber. Uh, we fund a huge project, a lemon shark project, off the coast of Florida, um, and we've gotten lemon sharks protected now in the state waters of Florida uh, and hammerheads, and we're working on bull sharks next uh, to get them protected in Florida state waters. But on a study that we're doing, is an area off of Jupiter, Florida, um, that um, there's a large aggregation of lemon sharks. I think I gave you a picture of, of uh, me laying down next to one of those lemon sharks. Um,
1: yes, you did. Ladies and gentlemen, yeah. that picture, trust me, my audience, for all of you, where I switchboard is lit up, and I thank my my audience so much for the support and for those who will see it as well. That picture will be, um, of course, on um, Twitter. It will be on Facebook, and I'll um, be continuously posting, as you all can see. And that picture within itself, Gary, is just outstanding. I mean, because you literally have your hand on this shark. <laughs> as if it's, And the shark is such a piece it doesn't i mean it doesn't even flinch that you're there
2: and that's and that's what's amazing because nobody had ever encountered this this is set about 130 feet on the bottom and um there's dozens of those lying around with their head into the current um and we we never, we still do, we we've spent hundreds of thousands of dollars in research on this tagging and tracking them and it's not a mating scenario it's not a food incentive um, we actually think that it's an aggregation uh, that happens annually um, in, the, in, the, in the early part of the winter, uh, and we think that they actually are pairing up, m- m- meeting mates, and then they go okay. someplace else to mate, and that's that's our theory right now. But it, as I said earlier, uh, the beauty of science is it generates more questions, and so that's that's what's happening here. But as a result of the data that we collected on this huge aggregation, um, we now have them protected because it is the only uh, large, it is actually the largest population that we know of around the United States of lemon sharks. So we've got them protected now in the state of Florida. So that's that's, that's kudos to to the work of Dr. Sonny Gruber. But what I wanted to say also is that Sonny um, uh, wanted to test the intelligence of of the lemon shark, and he set up a maze with a food reward. And he he uh, it, it would let the, the lemon shark go, and the lemon shark uh, would make multiple attempts until he finally figured out the maze to get the food reward. And the pen beside this lemon shark was another lemon shark. Then Sonny would take that lemon shark and put him in the, the pen with the maze. And, and immediately, with no hesitation, that shark would work the maze and get the food reward. So he watched the other sharks. He learned quickly um, how to how to process that that, that uh, maze, and without any hesitation, he worked it out. So again, that goes back to the intelligence of an animal that uh, that uh, we we oftentimes underestimate. I think um, how clever they can be. Most
1: definitely. Now, Gary, I want to go into uh, the birth process. Because when we see these big, huge creatures, you know, the manifestation for them to grow into the hugeness that they are comes from something very small. So what is the birth process once the female is impregnated? How long does it take for the shark to be born? And how long does it take for it to become that huge?
2: Okay. Um, Good question. And um, and there's a lot of there's a lot of questions in there that w- we don't know, okay. But this is what okay. we do know. Um, let's talk about the most common species, and that would be the top ten: the hammerheads, the bull sharks, lemon sharks, great whites, and so on and so forth. Those those are the ones most people are – we call them the pelagic species. They, you know, they, they they're the ones most people are familiar with. Um, mm-hmm. Most female sharks, uh, it, in a perfect world, nutrient bases good, and sustainable, will um, uh, produce a litter of pups every two years. Um, A litter of pups could be anywhere from a dozen um, uh, in a hammerhead, for example, or 15 or so in a hammerhead, uh, or uh, to to maybe five or six in a lemon shark. Uh, Same in a bull shark, Uh, and so on and so forth. And great whites, uh, we don't know that much about great whites, quite honestly. We're not even 100% sure where they mate yet. We suspect uh, from the tagging that we've done that they're making deep, deep, deep 1,000 um, feet of water or more in the, in the Gulf of Mexico in the area of where the um, Deep Horizon oil uh, well, blew up actually. Oh um, wow! In that, okay. In that region there, and we suspect that that's been impacted because of that oil spill. By the way, um, okay. in in um, in California, the great whites there go out to an area that we call the cafe in the middle of the Pacific Ocean, halfway between Hawaii and California. And they seem to congregate there, and then they disperse out. Many go to Hawaii and 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 many go south into Mexico and then others go north up the coast of the United States um, and we believe that's happening there the mating but we can't we, we never we seldom ever find um, uh, great whites with mating bites on them and in the mating process the male will bite the will bite the uh, the, the pectoral fin of of the female and hold on to her and then he'll mate with her oftentimes. Uh, another male will will help hold her by blocking her forward motion to make it easier for the mating process to take place. Um, so the gestation after the mating's taken place is generally a, just like people, about nine months, nine to ten months, roughly, and and then they'll go ahead and give birth. Now some species, uh, and this is not so nice, but some species when the newborn pup hatches out in, in an egg case inside the, the female shark. Um, whoever hatches out first will eat his siblings and if there's uh, two horns to the uterus um, then subsequently there will be two or three pups born because they consumed whoever was slow to slow bloomers inside the mother and she'll go mm-hmm. ahead and pass them uh, in, in birth in live birth um, now those pups when they're born uh, for example let's take a lemon shark She'll take them into an area that they know that there's a good nutrient base, and that there's enough food there, the size of their mouth to support them. Because once that pup is born, the mother, they're on their own. They hit the ground running, and the mother does not will not recognize her young thereafter. And so, they're generally they'll go up into mangrove areas, as it's very protected. Because a small shark is also part of the food chain to other predators. So he's going to go up to that mangrove area. Uh, where there's lots of roots and lots of fish, and, and he he's going to eat small stuff the size of his mouth. And what a lot of people don't realize, and this is why sharks are in trouble, is that um, 75% of newborn sharks die in the first year of life. They die from mm. predation, other, other animals feeding on them from starvation because of uh, environmental encroachment, uh, habitat destruction, not enough nutrient to support them, 75% of them die in the first year of life. It takes about 15 years for a shark to uh, reach sexual maturity. So they've got a long, long ways to go before they can even produce their own offspring, and they don't produce that many. So subsequently that's why sharks are endangered, around the world, when 100 million are taken annually, globally, um, they don't recover very fast. It takes them a long time to recover. Great whites will have maybe one or two pups. Uh, Tiger sharks, maybe one or two pups. Um, And bears are a little bit larger. Tiger sharks tend to, for what we just recently learned, uh, tend to have their pups in deeper water, and the pups are at least um, a couple feet long, uh, sometimes even up to a meter in length, depending on the size of their of their parents, um, so um, so yes. When, when they hit the ground running, they 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 got to be looking over their shoulder a lot too, because they're on the food chain of everything as well. Um, so it's it's not an easy world out there.
1: I see, and once again, that is so informative to know because that's always been a curiosity with myself, and I'm sure many of the listeners. How does this creature come to life? I mean, because when you see them you're just fascinated. I mean, because they're just just so within consumed within their own realm. And you say you say you ask yourself, Wow, how does this all come to life? If it continues to flow every day in life is such um and like you said, instantaneously things that they're attracted to color, uh, the smell of blood and they come rushing. What is the fastest Speed, Gary, that's a question that comes to mind. What is the fastest speed a shark can go? I mean, you know, we see the movies and we know a lot of times the movies are, you know, a little bit elevated, but what is actually the fastest speed that a shark can get to its prey?
2: Well, um, if they're, if they're motivated, they can come rocketing in very quickly. Um, miles per hour. Ooh, I, I couldn't even begin to guess. I, the fastest shark in the ocean, however, is the Mako shark um and okay. he's extremely fast and you, you he's in the, the, the mako shark is in the same family as the great white and they have if, okay. to, to understand the propulsion of these sharks you have to look at the tails um and if you look at the tail of a great white or the tail of a mako shark it looks like the tail of a tuna fish actually only much larger and that is a very very powerful tail that 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 allows for speed. Tuna are incredibly fast fish in the ocean, and so these sharks also are highly, highly explosive and very, very fast. And the reason for that is, for example, the great white is an ambusher, and and if he if he sees something on the surface and he and he deduces that it's food or believes it's food, then he'll come rocketing up. He'll commit to an explosive, accelerated speed. To impact that animal either at the head or the tail, he'll either want to remove its cognitive capability or remove its propulsion. And one or the other is going to allow him then to feed on it after it's weakened and um, with a maker shark, his favorite food is billfish is swordfish is sailfish is uh, marlin, and so what he'll do because he's very, very fast he'll, he'll take the tail off. on a a strike and then they're crippling that animal so then he can come back and safely feed on it when i say safely a lot of people don't realize that um all sharks have what's called a nictitating membrane that it's an an eyelid that comes from the bottom up so when they blink they blink from the bottom up And, and it's kind of white opaque and it covers the eye and the reason they do that is because they want to protect, if, if a shark loses even one eye, he loses his depth perception. If he loses his depth perception, he will slowly f- starve to death because he can't feed anymore. Okay, uh, very well anyway. So he needs to protect that eye. So the eyelid it protects the eye on these, on these uh, impacts. So they have to impact so quickly, so, so ambushing, and so, so um, explosively that they've got to ensure that nothing's going to hurt them you know, afterwards so they can come back and feed. Um, the, the, one, of the, one of the things that you hear most about on sharks is the sensitivity of the nose, the snout. They have in their snout uh, um, something called ampullae of Lorenzini. And these ampullae are amazing receivers uh, of scent, of vibration, of electrical energy. A shark um, senses weak prey uh, by the dimming of its aura. And we all, you, I, we all have an energy field around us. We have an aura. Um, Someone who's had an injury or lost a limb, for example, has a break in their energy field and their aura. A shark can go out and he'll swim around and he'll sense that a fish is getting old or weak or infirm and that's what he'll go after and consume and that's his job they're always leaving the healthiest and so um so it's all about that energy field i had um i i oftentimes took down uh, uh double amputees, single amputees on dives. I took uh, quadriplegics, paraplegics and it, on my sharks, with my sharks, and, and it was always amazing to me that the sharks knew right away. And it wasn't in an aggressive way, but they would come over, over in a very curious manner, uh, bump and nuzzle uh, the place where a limb should have been on a person. Um, I had a, I have a, a titanium shoulder uh, because of, <laughs> I had a shark hit the front of my camera and uh, shattered my shoulder um, one time on a film. And um, and and when I got back in the water for the first time, immediately my sharks all came, and they started bumping and nuzzling my shoulder because there was a, a new break in my uh, my aura and my energy field around me. And it, it wasn't, again, they didn't want to bite me, but they were curious as to what that, that, that was. Um, so that, that all comes about from the Ampulia Lorenzini. That, uh, that senses that electrical field. A shark can sense a car battery 20 miles away in the water. He's that sensitive, and hone in on it. Um, hammerheads. We all, hammerheads are a very distinctive shark. It's a very unusual-looking shark. And a lot of people ask me, why, what, what's the story with a hammerhead? Well, this is what we know. Um, hammerhead's favorite food is stingray. And where do stingrays live but buried in the sand, hidden? So how does he find that stingray? If you ever watch a hammerhead swim, he swims with a very exaggerated wag of his head and torso, and and, 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 and and like his head is a big metal detector, and he's scanning the sand. And when he detects a ray beneath the sand, then quickly his head is kind of narrowed at the front like a shovel. He'll flush that ray out and then he'll go after it, and and he'll bite off one wing of of the ray to cripple it so that it has to swim in a circle, and then he can feed on it as it weakens safely with the, without being hurt. Now, why are the eye stalks way out on the end of a hammerhead's head? Because of the stingray barb. Um, again, remember what I said about the eyes needing to be protected, and so um, I can't tell you how many hammerheads I've encountered with stingray barbs all around the front of their heads, from the rays that they've eaten, and the rays flip the barb up and stick them, uh, but they protect the eye, because they don't want the eye to be be, be damaged, because it would would cost them their life, ultimately. And uh, so that's why a hammerhead has his head shaped the way it is. It's based on the type of food that he eats. Um, And uh, if you understand the power of a stingray barb, um, Steve Irwin, crocodile hunter, Mm -hmm. uh, he was killed uh, by the barb of a stingray.
1: Yes, uh, it was. It,
2: yes, and that's and, it, and the thrust from one of these animals is so explosive and so powerful, and unfortunately, that's what killed Steve. I worked with Steve um, in Fiji um, on a project with our bull sharks, and uh, he was just a, just a, a remarkable, hilariously fun fun guy to be around and be with. Um, and um, one year to the day that he was killed i was actually in the same bay where he was at the, the previous year tagging tiger sharks and the reason the tiger sharks are there is because those rays the cow rays are in mating in that area and of course follow the food the sharks follow the rays and we had hammerheads and tiger sharks there and that's what actually he and uh philippe Cousteau, my friend philippe Cousteau, were there to film that and they went out on a day uh to shoot B-roll, and that's they were just waiting for other. Uh, I think another crew member to show up, and um, uh, Ben Kropp was the cameraman with him, and um, working with the ray. And it was just a simple, silly, simple swim with a with a ray. But unfortunately, inadvertently, Steve crowded the animal into shallow water with his body blocking his exit. Ben was in front filming. And the animal panicked, and he threw his barb, in, unfortunately, and we know what happened. It, it killed Steve, and and uh, uh, the barb went in him. He actually pulled the barb out. Had he left the barb in, he probably would have survived. But uh, right. when pulling the barb out, he actually he actually he actually pulled a hole out in his heart because the barb has reverse the barb has reverse hooks in it, and it takes tissue out with it. Really, the only way to get it out is to have it surgically removed. But anyway, that's the sad story of Steve on that one. But uh, the the, the barb is toxic and powerful.
1: Um, mm, yeah, truly, anyways, truly missed the true, Yeah, truly missed man And gone too soon But um, Oh, absolutely, he, absolutely He definitely had an impact uh, Like you have, you know, in the underworld uh, His arena was, you know With mm-hmm. all animals, you were being with sharks But once again, we as a society Are so grateful for you all Embarking on this journey And letting us into the unknown Because the underworld is the unknown It's something that most Um don't want to because of fear. You've taken the initiative of not having that fear. You're great mentors. We thank them uh, for bringing you in, and it's been such a great deposit uh, in your life, and then for you to be able to empower and give back and give us that knowledge, I think it's just wonderful. Now, the next question I have, and I'm not going to detain you. We (laughs) we can go on and on, ladies and gentlemen, but I do have to let Gary go because my show will end as well. So I got a little more time here, so while I have him, I'm going to try and get everything in I can think of and let him share a few more things with us as well. Um, Gary, what is the feared animal of sh- that shark's fear? Because this ferocious animal, everything fears it. What animal does the shark fear? Is there one?
2: Well, if he's smart, he'll fear man. Um, okay. that's, the, that's the most dangerous animal in the sea um, there's a number of cartoons out about uh, um, uh, there's one one poster I saw recently showed a great white swimming next to a diver and the caption said this man has been responsible for terrorizing whole communities and the deaths of, of, of hundreds of people around the world and the other one swims in the sea you know, uh, you know, and eats fish, and and uh, you know, and the point being, obviously, man is probably the worst, worst animal out there. Um, and knowledge is, is the only thing that's going to fix that. Um, understanding and knowledge. Um, uh, sharks um, fear one another. Um, I, I, you know, if 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 there is any such thing as fear, if you understand, it's instinctual. Um, um, and caution—they're always cautious. Um, a shark will always bump and nuzzle something, generally 99.9% of the time before he'll ever do an investigatory bite. Um, uh, so, because he's cautious, he doesn't want to get hurt. He's—he's he's afraid of, like I, I mentioned earlier, the eyes, for example. So he's going to be cautious about that. He's—he's he's curious, mm-hmm. he's cautious. So he—they—you know—and um, again, it, it depends a little bit on species too. Um this, I think uh, there's so many stories of uh people at, lost at sea. Um there's some horror stories out there about the Indianapolis um that was a World War II ship that was sunk and many of the crew were were um were were killed and injured by sharks. Um and that species is a deep water pelagic shark called uh saying, like White tip. And that is an animal when they're out in the deep water, there's not as much nutrient out there, so anything that's out there bobbing around is fair game so um I always tell people uh when you go to the beach <laughs> try not to look like the food. um I always told my surfing friends it's one thing to be sitting on your board in your in your in your shorts with your white feet hanging over the side. Why can't you put on some nylon boots um Has the same great traction on the on the board, and uh, there'll be less incidents of of a shark seeing something white flashing in in murky water and biting it. Cases of mistaken identity. Um, Yeah, this. I have a lot of my friends tease me about this. You can't can't pay me enough money to go to a beach in murky water to go splash around and swim. because, in a shark's world, anything on the surface is is possibly food it, it it for example, tiger sharks, their favorite food is turtles.
1: Turtles go to
2: the surface for a breath of air they they sleep on the surface oftentimes um and that's exactly where the where the shark's gonna find them. What does a diver look like or a surfboard look like on the surface uh, in silhouette? Um, in Hawaii, we have uh, incidents every year of tiger sharks biting people on a board. Um, and it's generally the time when the turtles are coming in to nest and lay eggs um, and and uh, and also mate. Uh, and that's when the tiger sharks follow the food. They come in. So the surfers are more vulnerable in that time of year uh, floating around on the surface because that's what they look like i always tell people try not to look like the food um but you know i want to i want to say this too about your show yolanda um about empowerment whether it's about whether it's about the ocean whether it's about conservation whether it's about the love of people or the love of your sport it's the energy that you commit to that uh I've I've worked with you a long time and I watched you and I watched the energy that you uh share with others. I see you work with people on the phone in problem situations, I see how you work with your colleagues, um and it's 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 the same empowerment, whether it's a passion for people, whether it's a passion for your job, whether it's a passion for a sport or conservation or whatever. That's that's the key to I think a full life. And that's that's the empowerment and the motivation that I think everybody should have, or well, hopefully find that key in their heart, and and uh, and move forward in their life and make a oh focus. Oh my goodness! We're a
1: while. are going to bring tears to my eyes. Oh my goodness! Thank you so much. What a great and just um, outstanding compliment, and ladies and gentlemen, I can tell you it's it's, it's 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 one of those things. I'm just being me. And it just it just soothes to know, um, you know, Gary, like he said, he and I work together, you know, that people are able to see the realness and Yolander being Yolander. And now he coming on my show, understanding why it was embellied in my spirit to title my show, Empowering for All. Um, I'm just honored um, and very blessed. And I've been on now for over a year and I... Ladies and gentlemen, I he will tell you, I'm at Daddy. I'm Nick Daddy, who's a busy man. And I said, I, Gary, you have to come on the show. You have to come on the show. So I once again want to tell you thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule because I know after work your schedule doesn't stop. But you made the commitment. You came on and you shared with my guest. And once again, thank you so much for the compliment to me. Uh, it means everything. Thank you.
2: Well, thank you, and it's been a a real pleasure at any time, by all means.
1: Yes, you have to come back. Now, ladies and gentlemen, the sad time is we're winding down and Gary has to go, but it's never a goodbye, I always say, until the next time. But, Gary, before you go, will you share with the audience, for those who are listening and for those who will listen after the show has aired, how can they, if they want to, fund the Shark Foundation, um, find out more about it and so forth, and what can we expect from you in the future? Are you ever going to go back in the water again? That's always <laughs> a key question I'm sure the audience wants to know. Will Gary ever dive again?
2: <laughs> oh, absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. Well, I appreciate you that, that opportunity to share that. Um, you can go online to www.sharks.ch. And um, um, our foundation is funded uh, from a large Swiss uh, group of industrialists who donate a tremendous amount of funding to our research and science grants that we uh, we have all over the world. And as far as uh, our projects... I've got a huge project with the lemon sharks, right? I set off in the state of Florida. I have another one down in the dry cartugas on mating of nurse sharks. I've got a uh, – in Naples, Florida, uh, we have a, uh ongoing 10-year study now on um, bull shark pups, I have a massive project in Fiji where we have uh, literally turned the economy around in the villages and now we have several hundred square miles of protected reef in Fiji um, that is our own scientific backyard with on any dive you can see 8 to 10 species of shark on any single dive which is there's no place in the world like that. Um, We fund a tremendous amount of research with manta rays which are also in the shark family off of the coast of Africa, uh, Mozambique, and also whale shark studies in Mozambique, and we've got them them protected uh, now off the coast of Mozambique. The problem in, in a third world country, however, is they don't have the funds to um, uh, protect their own waters, to create a, a navy to protect their own waters. So, so that's a slow, slow process. What we've done in Fiji, for example, is... Uh, set up a, a fund where we have trained park rangers now, and we give them the boats and the vessels and, and the training and the knowledge to go out there and protect their own waters and protect the sharks. Um, so we have projects going around the world, and, and every one of them, when I when I'm not doing what you and I do every day uh, here, <laughs> um, I'm I'm out in the ocean someplace in New Zealand or Australia or, or uh, Fiji or Africa.
1: Wonderful, wonderful. Well, Gary, once again, thank you for gracing us with this great interview, taking the time out once again of your busy schedule. I'm actually going to stay on live and share a few more things with upcoming things here in empowerment. But I'm going to say. Goodbye, good night, and don't ever be a stranger. If you ever want to come <laughs> on and give us some more informative information, just let me know. The door is the door is open to you. Shout out to your lovely wife, Brenda, um, who I hear so much about and I know she's a you know, an empowerment and a joint woman of passion and love. Connected to you, and it radiates day in and day out. And, the audience, let me tell you this as well before I let Gary go. It was like he complimented me. Gary is a very, very, with all these accolades and all that he's done, you would never know this. This man just generates nothing but humbleness. Um, personality is just great, a very, very receptive man that they dedicated to what he does, and I respect you for that, so once again, I say thank you, thank you very much
2: well, thank you very much, and you have a wonderful evening and i i i wish you I wish you well. I look forward to seeing you soon Good night,
1: all right, good night, Gary. We'll talk soon, ladies and gentlemen. It has been such an honor here tonight and empowering for all with my guests. Professional diver Gary Atkinson has been talking with us and gracing us with his presence tonight here at Empowerment, giving us such an informative insight to the underworld of sharks. And for those of you who missed this interview, don't be dismantled. Don't be upset. All my shows can be heard after they broadcast. No worries all of my shows are available on my website w dot y four all dot slash four all tune in radio windows store podcast Blueberry.com and many other outlets. It is such an honor when I have the awesome people that graced the presence of my show. Now at it is Gary Atkinson. It is a wonderful place to be in your life when you're living your dream. This radio show has always been my dream. The door was opened for me over a year ago, and I say thank you, Lord. Only one person opened that door and continues to manifest and elevate my show, and I thank God for it every day. Now, many of you are trying to figure out who am I, because you may be just tuning in and getting connected with Empowerment for All. Find out more about me by my book, an autobiography written by me titled The Tragic Times of a Woman by Yolanda McKeer. That book is available at Barnes and Noble, Amazon, my website, it, through the Barnes and Nobles link, and many other outlets. Those of you who want to keep up with what's going on at Empowerment for All, follow me on Twitter, at capital Y, capital M, lowercase c, capital T, I, E, R. Facebook, Evangelist Yolanda McTeer. Instagram, Evangelist Y. McTeer. One thing for sure, every day that you wake up, say thank you. It is another day that should be filled with grace, love, and gratitude. Many wish they could walk out of the hospital. Many wish they could see. Many wish... They have their limbs. Many wish for the small things that we take for granted every day. But remember, you have those things, so embellish love and give love. Every day won't be a good day. And even when we get out of our flesh, because things aggravate us and agitate us and upset us, what we quickly have to do is rejuvenate ourselves and say, you know what? This is just an obstacle. It, too, shall pass. It, too, shall pass. And things will come to the realm of peace and humbleness again. For those people who come into your life who don't even know what love is, kindness, gratitude, continue to give out what lies within you, happiness, love, accepting, not judging, and being a trophy that they can see. If this individual can portray all of this, I need to get in me what they got in them, and that's what I do continuously through my radio show, and as you heard my guests compliment me, I do it every day at work because I am keeping it real. I'm going to go to a break and I'm going to come back, and I'm going to pray. I never end my show without prayer because prayer is what keeps us. Prayer is what takes us where we need to be. I'll be back in a moment. to let you listen to just a little ocean music with the call of seagulls. That is an honor to my guest, professional diver in the underworld of the ocean. Gary, that quick segment of music was dedicated to you. Now I'm going to play one of my favorite country singers with this song, was granted a whole month and played as an intro, Miss Krista Earl. I'll be back in a moment.
0: My direction didn't always point true north But you had a way of keeping me on course Your faith in me When we're not together I can hear your voice As clear as ever Telling me it's now Or never If you didn't believe in me I wouldn't be here now If you didn't believe Diamonds in the rough. If you didn't believe in me Oh When others said the road is so long This ain't the place where you belong You stop by me
1: McTeer's radio show, Empowering for All. It is always a sad time to say goodbye. Well, I never say goodbye. I always say goodnight until the next time. If you missed a great show, you have to hear it. Tonight, Tuesday, July 28, 2015, my special guest. And my colleague, he is the underworld of sharks, professional diver Gary Atkinson. Ladies and gentlemen, once again, this man is a force to be reckoned with. He has brought so much to the underworld. And Gary, I say thank you for your continuous studies and contributions, even going forward being the director of the Shark Foundation. You are appreciated, and you will have to grace the audience again by stopping by soon on Empowering for All. For those of you who may want to hear the show again, don't hesitate. It's always available on my website. It will be there by tomorrow, Empowerment com, And also you'll be able to hear other shows With famous celebrities that have stopped by And blessed my show here at Empowering For All Follow me on Twitter At capital Y capital M lowercase C capital T I E R Instagram Evangelist Y McTeer Facebook Evangelist Yolanda McTeer My biggest love of all three of those social medias and my biggest traffic is on Twitter. I'm a Twitter guru. Instagram, I haven't got into. I don't take pictures all the time, so I'm a little lazy and not a lot of followers there. Facebook, I'm neutral because it's been around for so long. But once again, to find out consistently what's going on and who's coming on my show, Twitter is where you need to find me. Continuous hugs and kisses to my audience, my listeners. I've been blessed that I now have listeners in London. My switchboard was lit up tonight, supporting my shows. Thank you so much. Once again, I know a lot of times my shows have gaps. It's not intentional. I work my regular job, 60-hour weeks, and my commitment is when I give, I give my all. So when I bring it to you, I give you my best. And for that, and you being patient and continuously supporting my show, Be sure to buy my book. Get your copy. Thank you all so much for those who already have bought my book and continuously buy my book and give me feedback via email of how it helps you, it helps a loved one, and it was an impartation. The book is an autobiography that I wrote myself, and I titled it The Tragic Times of a Woman, because it will take you through the seasons in my life. What I had to go through to get to. It wasn't always a blissful day, but I said, Lord, you're going to continuously make the way. So once again, get your copy soon. I never end my show without prayer. Tonight will be Psalms 11, 1 through 7. In the Lord I put my trust. How can you say to my soul, flee as a bird to your mountain? For look. The wicked bend their bow. They make ready their arrow on the string, that they may shoot secretly at the upright in heart. If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? The Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. His eyes behold. His eyelids test the sons of men. The Lord tests the righteous, but the wicked and the one who loves violence his soul hates. Upon the wicked he will rain cold, Fire and brimstone and a burning wind shall be the portion of their cup. For the Lord, oh yes, for the Lord is righteous. He loves righteousness. His countenance beholds the upright. Once again, that was Psalms 11. Thank you all tonight for tuning in. Until next time, here at Empowering for All. This is Yolanda McTeer saying thank you and good night.